0: Tribe, I knew people like I know someone that is just like Fife, you know height, <laughs> skin tone, baseball
1: caps, basketball. Are you talking beam. about me? You know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> right. for some, for some, that's my Isaac Lab. For some reason, Isaac's like this nigga's describing scoop. Yeah, all right, yeah. You where to, to start where, with where to welcome first, me back, you? Arthur. Thanks, man. Way to welcome me back. I like that.
0: Welcome to the B side,
2: The Music Snobs.
0: This is the Music Snobs podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined by my co-hosts Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. We are going to talk about hip hop today. One of my favorite, 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 favorite groups of of all time not just not just hip hop groups, but of but of all time. Q Tip, Fife Dog, Ali Shahi, Muhammad. And sometimes, Jerobi, a tribe called Quest. How do you forget about consequence? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, to a lot of people, tribe is just three, you know, three members. Right. And, and because of um, the last album, thank you for your service. Uh, we'll take it from here. You know, Jerobi, um, you know, came back and was much more, was as prominent, oh, as really more true. prominent than he's ever been. Particularly, per- I don't even think we ever heard from Jerobi on um, uh, People's Instinctive Travels in the Past of Rhythm. He was in the it, was in a video, though. On enough. the first album. Oh, he was definitely in the video. But you know what? He was in Check yeah. the Rhyme video, too. Yeah. He was on the rooftop with them. So Jerobi, like, never left.
3: Arthur, why, what is it that makes them your favorite group?
0: I was in, I was in the hip hop. But Tribe was different. I mean, these were people that I knew. I didn't have to, like, ascribe to a philosophy or a swag or a style to really have them be my group. I mean, like, I was really into Eric B. and Rakim, but I wasn't, like, you know, like, hard like them, right? Uh, I was really into PE and I was I was growing in in in, 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 in social consciousness and it was PE that had me reading more books. Right. But I didn't have to be in book mode all the time. You know what I'm saying? With Tribe Called Quest. I loved, 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 still do, De La Soul. But I didn't have to spend time unraveling lyrics like I do with Pasta News. I didn't have to be Hotep. Like X Clan, you know, Tribe had all of that. Tribe allowed you to be you, basically. Tri- yeah, and not just me, but a lot of you know, people. There was a whole, lot they people were were like, a whole lot of people in. Yeah, they were like the first every man group. And this, this, this is really, this is really what I want us to start talking about. Is a tribe called Quest the most important group in hip hop? Because see, I can argue that point. Tribe as a group. And Q-Tip as a proxy runs a thread through hip hop from 88 all the way to today.
3: How how are you defining important?
0: I'm defining important by the messages in their music, the quality of production, the, the fan base spanning coast to coast. You know, in Oakland, hieroglyphics is a product of a tribe called Quest. Um, conversely a low end theory Is a product of the influence Of NWA Straight out of Compton That got Q-Tip and Ali Shaheed Muhammad Thinking like yo we gotta make
3: something like this You mean like beat wise Yeah
0: yeah yeah and dynamics wise Which is where you live Um The the, the hand that Q-Tip Had in bringing out Nas The hand that Q-Tip had In uh um, bringing Mobb Deep to the forefront, which was very different than the vibe of what we knew the vibe of, of Tribe Called Quest to be, you know. Um, and going in, later, 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 you know, Jay Cole, Kendrick,
3: Kanye, even in R&B. And then there's the J. Dillafactor. factor. But not just the Dilla factor, right? Like um, everything that came around them with the Soulquarians, like Badu, D'Angelo. Yeah, that
1: are right, right. The Roots. Yeah, common. Exactly. Yeah, you you could say that's all connected through tribe. Yeah,
4: I think you could you, you could also make the case, though, Arthur, that even if at the time of their you know their peak or their their height, so to speak, um, you know, late '80s, early '90s, mid even mid '90s, even if they weren't regarded as the most hip hop most important hip hop group of that time, maybe you could say in the rearview mirror looking back. You know, now that we have the perspective of 2020, we can say from 2020, the year 2020, I should say, to make that clear, no pun intended. We should say, we could say that, yeah, they are the most, if you wanted to argue that point, you could say they are the most important because look at what happened after them. You know, look at the influence that they had on all these things. And if you take Tribe out of that equation, if you remove them from that early mm-hmm. eight, early 90s period, would all these other things happen? But I, I, I would say though, at the time, they weren't to me The most important or the most They weren't at the forefront for me Personally simply because like you said They didn't make mm-hmm. you ascribe to anything or have to ascribe To anything I felt the same way At, this, at that yeah. time and because of that though It was kind of like I just kind of Accepted them okay here's Tribe They're dope they're this you know what I'm saying love them But I don't need to pay them that much attention You know what I'm saying because it's like they are It's like they my crew or something like you said they. they you felt like you knew them Whereas uh-huh. public enemy or someone else coming it was like I was so deep into them because every lyric, every line, every song made me want to go read this book or go research this or you know, it was like it was challenging right. to me. Right. And so for me at the time, right. it was like tribe felt so for lack of a better term, they felt so comfortable. You know what I'm saying? It's like I fell in immediately, mm-hmm. there was no com- no complexities, it was kinda like they the you know, they was just they was just raw. You know what I'm saying? It was like and you just felt them yeah.
1: Isaac, can I say that to you? They weren't superheroes.
4: No, they weren't. No, that's a good right, way to put it.
1: Right, that's what I was thinking. Because you know, usually when you're dealing with levels of importance, it has to be a superhero factor. And I think right. in other groups, they felt like superheroes. The tribe felt normal. To Arthur's point, right. they felt normal. They made him feel like tribe, him.
4: tribe felt like Tribe felt like every song came out of a cipher. You know what I'm saying? And that's not a, That's not an insult. That's a compliment. It felt like if there was a documentary on the importance of cyphers and how, you know, beautiful that they are like, like tribe could be the soundtrack, you know what I'm saying? It was like, they just, they just had that vibe to them. Like I can just see them, you know, they just felt so New York cypher to me. And to me that was good Mm -hmm. and it was comfortable, but it wasn't, oh my God, like Scoop said, they weren't superheroes to me.
3: I disagree a little bit because I think the stuff that they were doing, it might have seemed simple, and, um you know certainly, perhaps in contrast to the intricate stuff that you're pointing out, but you know there's a difference between simplicity and a casual vibe. I think they had that that casual delivery um, mm-hmm. and on the superhero point that that's an interesting word scoop because I think for a lot of people, their everyman aspect mm-hmm. and the relatability of what they were talking about. And doing it on that big stage mm-hmm. It made you feel like you were important made you feel like you were heard Yeah, exactly It made you feel like you were represented mm-hmm. um, So, to me, they were superheroes in that way You know, you're much in the same way like Little Brother mm-hmm. um, And I don't think like everybody that we look up to Or that we listen to or follow I don't think they need to be a, you know, like larger than life uh, Superhuman kind of character i think you know you can you can be a superhero without being a, a superhuman if, if you know what
1: okay I, mean. I get what you are saying, but I was, I was being very generalistic because if you look at the way society usually mo- moves yeah people usually like equate importance to somebody feeling larger than life you know what i'm saying if you look at all the people mm-hmm. that we elevate whether it be malcolm x or mandela or dr king or you know hell Gandhi or Oprah or whoever you know what I'm saying they are usually large we feel that they're larger than life and pick them as superheroes and Mm -hmm. you know there's a unique set of individuals that are not considered superheroes but are heroes to us and I was just related to what Isaac was saying about how he felt about Tribe and contrasting that to the importance that Arthur said Tribe had in his life and what I picked from that is that the normalization of regularity that Arthur felt with tribe was what was missing in Isaac's point of view to feel the same way about tribe that Arthur does. For what Isaac needed, exactly. Yeah, I, no, I that's get all. You. That's I understand. All. I get you. Yeah, right. They were. They
3: were like. They were like, unlikely rock stars. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. That's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I put that. 80, 90, 91. You know, Titans at that time were like, you know, Run. Yeah. Chuck D, KRS-One. Ice Cube. Very dynamic, all very, very super dynamic. Right, and, and, and Rakim and all of those people I listened to bought all their records but I could have a conversation with Q-Tip about the same stuff in the same way that, you know with Chuck, I couldn't have I didn't feel like I could have that kind of relay, relatability because I didn't have the life experiences that he had I didn't have the life experiences that, that Ice Cube had slashed portrayed you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and from a production side tribes music opened me up to a whole library of black music with the samples everybody that he did. was using
3: everybody did
4: see and that's a, that's a that's another interesting point but really quickly arthur i'll say and again this goes back to my looking back in the in the rearview mirror thing i think that you could argue that if you look at you know music now in 2020 the influence of tribe is probably there much more than the influence of public enemy. And that's, to me, that's, there's a sadness behind that. There's another reason for that. That's, mm-hmm. we can get into that on mm-hmm. another show. But when I look at the music now, I see, yeah, there's more tribe, um, you know, influence there musically at least than, you know, and even, you know, aesthetically, you know, the aestheticness of it and uh, in mm-hmm. both in, in straight rap and, you know, R and B slash, you know, hip hop, um, but also, here's the question I have based on what you just said, John, and what you just said, Arthur, and then what you just agreed with, John. The influence as far as listening to Tribe and then, oh, this opens up all these other doors for everyone to go explore. I got to push back against that because I, I don't agree with that. I think it does that for some people. And I think that amount, I think the amount of people who actually hear, you know, take any of the first three Tribe albums and then say, OK, let me go listen to this jazz over here where they are influenced by the number of people who do that probably pales in comparison to the number of people who heard those Tribe albums and felt like they could just check that jazz box, you know, that box off of their list. Yeah, I know jazz. I listen to Tribe. You know what I'm saying? I, if you go back and think mm-hmm. about the brothers that you was hanging out with then, how many of them actually, you know, well, maybe not your crew, but, you know, as far as like just the people you knew of, how many were actually like going back yeah. and listening to jazz that their parents listened to based on the samples that they heard in Tribe? To me, it was like more people were like kind of fronting a little bit, like okay, I'm into jazz or I know jazz because I listen to Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, you know what I'm saying.
0: I mean, I'm a jazz fan because of Tribe Called yeah, Quest. Yeah, I, I think a lot. I think we take that sometimes we take that
4: too far where we feel like, oh yeah, they opened the doors so everybody could go here. Eh, some people, not not everybody. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: Yeah, but I can make that same argument for Public Enemy. I can Absolutely, make that exact same fast. argument for Public Thanks. Enemy. I'm Thanks. conscious back, because right. I listen to Public Enemy. Not that I'm conscious because I right. went to the library and researched old black newspapers to find out who Joanne Chesa is. That's why is. we at where we are now. <laughs> you know,
3: saying the point I made earlier. <laughs> in both examples, right? That's that's why we are where we are. <laughs> right well, music. Both examples, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a fair point, Isaac, and. I think what supports that is by the third album, by Midnight Marauders, uh, they they were headlining festivals, like rock festivals. Yeah, they did Lollapalooza. Festivals. They would be on the same sort of bill as um, artists like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, Smashing Pumpkins. Right. And, and you know, for that demographic, in, in some cases, Tribe would be the one hip-hop group that they would listen to. So, yeah, fair enough. But I think certainly for a subset of people... Who wouldn't otherwise have been invariably exposed to this music, to this other music that was recorded twenty or thirty years right. before these Tribe albums? Um, I think that I think some of those people would have been encouraged, like us, to go back and explore and learn. The other thing I want to push back on a little bit is this word um, jazz. Because I think one of the beauties of a tribe called Quest is that their music illustrates that Black American music is all one thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, on their albums, they weren't they were looping primarily, and in fact, People's Instinctive Travels and the paths of Rhythm. Most of those beats were drafted at least by Q-Tip, just pause pushing, and you know they found good grooves and added their vibe to it. Mm-hmm. It, it just shows to me one of one of my favorite points is. There isn't this separation that we think there is between these styles of music, yeah and to that to but that I,
1: point I, J- I, okay
4: to to that point really quickly, I think it's just to be clear, I think it's very important to point out point out that in that time period, there wasn't that, oh, I'm listening to tribe, so I'm not going to listen to this, you know what I'm saying, it was like I was listening to all of this, you know tribe uh, mm-hmm. uh p e whoever because it was all part of the same to me. You know what I'm saying? It was just that the point I made earlier was about who was more important to me and who who inspired me more, who, you know, who was more the group that, you know, pushed me more. I'm sorry, go ahead, Scoot.
1: No, I was just gonna push back a little bit on what Jahan said. I, I agree, but I think part of the thing we have to acknowledge is where, you know, it wasn't just jazz that, you know, tribe like you know, made their foundation of, but they at least pushed the genre to the forefront through their music and through the choices that they made through music, you know. Um, And Ron Carter's an easy place to go to, but they made Ron Carter and his bass lines prominent in things that they did. And if you connect that to, at the same time, you know, what Sonic was doing and, you know, over there and and, and using jazz samples and, you know, we can't have a conversation of Tribe without having a conversation about Gangstar and Premiere also putting jazz. So, I'm just saying where the 808 was such a big instrument and sampling was so big, especially old R and B, because it was familiar to, you know, listeners at the time. They may not have been strictly jazz, but they were putting jazz at the forefront. And I think that's I don't want to dismiss it like they weren't doing that distinctively where everybody else wasn't. There were a few groups that were doing that. You know, and that's what I, I, made jazz prominent. So it wasn't the whole thing, but it was they 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 weren't a, they weren't ashamed of what they were doing and they wanted and they distinctively wanted you to know. That this music, this genre of music, is part of the basis of how we're gonna create sound. I think they were upfront with that where a lot of people weren't. I mean, is it fair
0: to say that the Low End Theory was the first hip hop album that had like a definitive feel to of it? Of jazz? Where it wasn't just about No no not even just jazz, just like a feel. No, I would I would I mean, take people's take people's instinctive travels and take take low end theory. Two entirely different
1: types of sound two entirely different types of feel to me i get that but i'm trying to wonder what you did you said it's the first album that had a distinctive feel to it i would you know go back to something earlier than that because the whole hip-hop sound was a whole new feel back in the day this was a new feel of music inside of hip-hop but this wasn't a whole new feel Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like to me to me if you want to go back to the feel and this is to my argument about not my my not my argument but my going back and forth about wrestling about importance and who is the most important group. You know, when Run DMC dropped Run DMC. That, we right, had never right, heard. Right, right. You talk about a feel. That was a whole feel. Mm. So I can't give Tribe that mm-hmm. credit.
3: Yeah, so I think that a, a couple of things. I think, um, Arthur, when you mentioned feel, you're talking about it in a musical context, right? You mean that rhythmic mm-hmm. feel or mm-hmm. pulse. So yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, I don't think it was absent on people's instinctive travels in the paths of rhythm, but I think they honed it for low end theory and and Scoop. I think just just the separation between these styles is something I can't I can't get with. I feel like Q Tip would agree with me.
1: Way to throw them in to win your point. I like that. <laughs> no, no, I mean,
3: no, <laughs> no, I mean <laughs> that. Right. No, Hold that's on, a good let one. Let him, he win, he already wins.
1: So I want to hear what he got to say because he just won. Shit, I can't, I can't argue with that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, man, when when you listen to these albums um, and you hear tracks that sample Minnie Riperton mm-hmm. mm-hmm. or Funkadelic or Slave or Donald Byrd, average white or, band, or, or Jimmy McGriff,
1: yeah, I, I see. Average- and
3: these tracks don't sound. Different. Right. The style of the song doesn't sound different. The sample that they're using doesn't sound like it's some completely different right. thing. They don't sound like, oh, this is Tribe doing a jazz track. Oh, this is mm-hmm. Tribe doing an R and B track. Oh, mm-hmm. this is Tribe doing a funk track. Right, right, no. It just sounds like black music. And and there's actually a Q tip quote. I think he says he says you can find the abstract listening to hip hop. My pops used to say it reminded him of bebop. I said, mm-hmm. well, daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles? Cycle? Mm-hmm. cycles yeah. The way that Bobby Brown is just amping up like Michael. Uh, that
4: Bobby Brown line always hit me in the wrong place, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I said everything. <laughs> but Jay, yeah, you're, you're speaking from the musician and artist side of it. But can we all agree though, from a consumer side of it, in listening to these things, the fans, they, and let's be honest, the marketing behind it by saying, by associating Tribe with jazz was one of their marketing pushes. You know, what I'm saying that was one of the reasons, you know, that they, you know, distinguished themselves from some other groups. Um, nobody was saying that about P You know, what I'm saying nobody was saying that about Cube. Well, people were Let's saying that, that yeah. About yeah. Gang and and Gangstar even put out Gang an Star album. Gangstar put out an album. What were, the, were those two albums?
1: Jasmine. Says, or,
4: uh, that was Guru. Exactly. Yeah. Guru put out those albums. Yeah. So I'm saying I agree with you, Jahan. is hundred percent from the artistic side. But I'm saying from the consumer side, we all can, we have to agree that, yeah they were pushed as far as being you know on the jazz side of things
3: well i don't think that's a conclusive argument i think that Well,
4: i think q-tip would agree with me <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> q-tip is a businessman
3: too that's why he survived this long <laughs> then, well then then maybe this attitude is what we got to change because i agree with you yeah. Than what were we arguing about. <laughs> I don't know. I told you I agree with you like five times. <laughs> uh,
0: there, there are a couple. There are a couple things that I remember about 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 the press leading up to the release of Lewin Theory. One thing was it was in a magazine that Tower Records used to publish, called Pulse, and there was an article uh, about Tribe Called Quest in general, and they were referencing this upcoming album that at the at least the title of it had was not. Manifest in the article um, But it was a quote And I believe it was attributed to Ali It might have been Fife but I believe it was Ali Where he was saying that Q-Tip is, was, is actually worried About how people will Accept this next album Because it's very different from from People's instinctive travels I just thought of something It's almost like we've been talking You know we've been spending a lot of this time basically talking about Q-Tip Does anybody know what Ali Shaheed Muhammad did in these productions if at all
3: if i remember correctly in that michael rapaport documentary there's a scene where q-tip and ali are sitting side by side on a sofa and q-tip is saying quite directly something to the effect that "I, oh, you know i did everything on these albums mm-hmm. and ali's sitting there and he didn't he didn't correct him he didn't you know didn't say anything else how
4: is it listed in the liner
3: notes yeah
1: Tribe Quest The Tribe
0: Called Quest <laughs> mm-hmm. Period Yeah I mean I, I saw a Red Bull Academy interview With um, Ali Shaheed Muhammad And He didn't He didn't really talk much About his involvement In the production Of those songs But he did talk about Or at least it was It was discussed How he had uh, Some outside production But highlighted La Shmoof ah, By okay. That he did the That he did the production For that And Ali said Yeah 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 He mm. nodded And the crowd, the audience, you were kind of like, oh, damn.
1: And I was at home like,
0: oh, damn. I didn't know he did that.
1: (laughs) He was the instrumentalist of the group because he's the one that actually played instruments, right?
4: Oh, he played real instruments.
1: Yeah. From what I understand, Ali played real real instruments. Not that he played instruments on the records, but he's the one that had an ear and knew how to play music. So I don't think anybody's saying Ali can't produce. It's just a matter of what role he played in Tribe as far as his productions were concerned. You know, and maybe it was just a light, it was a light role. But, you know, when music reaches that level, I think even the pl- people that play the lighter roles and not doing the heavy lifting, s- the intricacies and the attention to detail and what separates good from great, their role becomes important. You know?
4: They're part of the process. They're, yeah, but they're, they're a major of part process. of the process
1: because it just could be their ear.
0: Right, right. right so that's right. what I said.
1: So Ali could have been like, all right, right, I'm not doing much, but Q-tip could have hey, how does it sound, man? He's like, add this here. This needs this. And that's all he did But that was enough to take it To a level that it wouldn't have been Had he not been there
3: and, and also it's modern music That's given us this Or it's hip-hop or modern music That's given us this definition of Producer Where it's become the person Who makes the beat Who, you know, puts the drums on right. it Who finds the sample Exactly um, mm-hmm. If you look at the classic Definition of producer Cats like Tao Macero Or Quincy Jones Tommy La Puma yeah. Etc it's much more kind of... It's a very different definition. It's much more directional.
1: True that.
4: So let me ask you guys, then going back to the beginning and what opened up this segment, you know, tr- is Tribe the most important group in hip-hop history, I guess, it was the question. What... Are we, are we saying that... Are we agreeing upon that and saying yes because of longevity of influence? Or are we saying it's because of something else? Or are we not agreeing on it?
3: Actually, I think in deciding that... Um, We've got to acknowledge that the whole conversation so far has been pretty New York centric. It might be unfair if we don't give a nod to groups in other regions that were operating on this level. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly for impact and influence, NWA has to be in the conversation.
1: Or, or hey, Outcast is another one that should be in the conversation. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, Outcast is another one. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, no, I, 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 agree, I agree with Jahan, but I mean, I still, I still, okay if we started to do a Mount Rushmore of like the most important groups in hip-hop, you know, we, we would go, you, yeah. know, it, you know, it'd be PE, it'd be Wu-Tang, it'd be OutKast, it'd be NWA, it'd be Run DMC, it'd be Tribe Called Quest, you know. And so we look at them, if I'm missing somebody, help me out, but if we're looking at that, it's going to be New York heavy, right? But to look mm-hmm. at Tribe and single them out of that quote-unquote Mount Rushmore for me, and I like the way Jahan you know, phrase it for my taste. And I'm trying to go outside of my taste and look at it bigger. I'm still wrestling with having Tribe be more important to the culture of hip-hop than run DMC. It's very hard for me to do. Um, Because, yeah, maybe because of the groundbreaking of what they had. And while we talk about the production, and the production for D N C came outside of that unit. But mm-hmm. the importance of mm-hmm. a DJ and the role that Jam Master J played for all DJs coming after him and the role that DJ played in hip hop cannot be dismissed as not being important. Okay. And Tribe did not have that person in that role. We're sitting up here questioning Ali's, you know, <laughs> impact or what he even did in the group. Right. But let me ask it this way could
0: an album like To Pimp a Butterfly exist where they're not for a Midnight Marauders or a Low End Theory?
1: Right? I could say could an album like Take, Take a Nation of Millions or Hold Us Back exist mm. without Raising Hell? <laughs> Pick your poison, You went son. back
0: you know, to a two-year difference. I'm going damn near 20. Well, you could say could Pimp a Butterfly exist
4: without Nation of Millions? You know what I'm saying? We can that's what I'm saying. We could keep doing this. So yeah, I, right. I, I, I guess the point that I was right. the reason I re asked or rephrase the questions because, what like what Scoop said as far as yeah we and Jay said it too we have our personal taste. Can we speak objectively about this? Because I can say personally, Tribe is not the most important hip hop group in history to me personally, but objectively that's mm-hmm. where I am like hmm, you know that's where I get into the longevity of influence. You know what I am saying? It's like right now at this point, right in twenty twenty, I look at you know. Uh, not only the landscape of, of hip hop, but just the generation of kids who are listening to hip hop, and they look more like Tribe than they do, you know, say anything else. Um, and as I'm like, okay, right. is that whether you agree or disagree with that influence is there? And so that's what I'm saying there's a there's a strong argument to be made for Tribe in that context.
3: But then, Isaac, that leads us to the question: How much of something being important? depends on it being long lasting or enduring.
4: Yeah, that's my question. Yeah. That's 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 a good way to phrase it.
1: Yeah. Right. And here's the thing. If we want to go years, you know, if we we all know that the stuff that's being run now in the state of hip hop now, we're not talking about a golden era. And if we're gonna use like tribes impact Mm -hmm. now, how much does that really say about how much the impact is we're not talking about stuff that's being done at a high level on a consistent basis Yeah You know you just Arthur Arthur you just pulled out To pimp a butterfly That's one That's <laughs> one in 20 years Right, right? That's
0: one <laughs> That's one That's your one That's your one
1: Now let's go That's not my one no, but That's not go, my one I swear to, I can go, I can <laughs> go Hold for, up Hold up Hold up Okay um,
3: <laughs> Setting aside the sulquarians And everything that tribe mm-hmm. Clearly influenced 10 or 15 years ago Um I think you can look today at cats like Robert Glasper, Terrace Martin, Kumasi, Washington, maybe, mm-hmm. and I think you know there are aspects of an influence of Tribe that I think you know I think any time you know you know it's hard to say that somebody's influenced by JD without giving some sort of nod to a Tribe called Quest before that you know it's it's part of the, that's the lineage right. Um, and, you know, these guys may not be at a Madison Square Garden level of fame, but, you know, in their idiom, they're at the commercial forefront, right? Okay. They're, they're big names.
1: So, let me get... So, it's like, who's more important, Duke Ellington or Miles Davis? Would that be fair?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's, to that's say in this interesting. Context? That's... Um, we, don't, we don't have time for that, but yeah, but, but it's but a but brilliant but question. It's a brilliant question.
1: Okay. okay, that's okay. Okay, cool. I get it.
3: Because you're talking about one of the greatest songwriters... In history, right. and then you're also talking about the most reinventive, the most innovative, right? Without question, for me, but that's the my- most visionary artist in
1: history. But that's my point is that my- what Miles did, is still being influenced to this day. It is without question. What Duke did wasn't, but what Duke did in that short period of time leading up to there was so impactful, it's hard to overlook. And it yeah, depends but I on think who you- that
3: I think that Duke's impact. This guy wrote a thousand songs, and so many of those songs are canon, and so many of those songs are part of the Great American Songbook. And and you know not just the songs, but their form, their their DNA. They've been redone and redone and redone by so many other people. And, it, and even 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 stuff that you know maybe he didn't write in its original form, like the twelve bar blues. Yeah. Reconceptualizes C Jam Blues or Duke's Place. You know, that has been... That form is the basis for most of modern pop. So the impact different to Miles, but it's undeniable.
1: That's what I'm saying, right. It's like, I'm only arguing what's more important, the roots or the, the branches of the tree. That's it. And Run DMC is the roots, and Tribe are the branches. That's it. Mm-hmm, I'm getting mm-hmm, it. So no, I'm mm-hmm. not arguing. I'm just trying to make sense of it in, in a different way. Well, That's all. Well, I think something has to be said
0: that Tribe, in 2008, they released a love movement, which they declared was their last album. And then almost 10 years later in 2016 they released um um
3: thank you for your service we got it from here that, that's very hard right um how many examples can you guys think of um for a 30-year artist an artist whose career spans for 30 years in hip-hop well in music anybody, anybody, anybody in hip music yeah, right? just genre. you know completely and to come in at the sort of tail end well i won't say the end but to come in at the later stage of that career and drop something that's competitive, contemporary, and an evolution, and true to what they were doing beforehand, like to unite all those things. That's not, you know, that's not easy. To Arthur's point, I, I think this is where you're going, Arthur. Mm. None of the other acts that we've chosen for this Mount Rushmore true. have done that. And
1: they probably can't.
3: True. Right,
4: right. But you know, we can. I want to. There's a question I want to ask you guys about. Thank you for your service. But are we? I don't
0: want to skip over the other. Albums. Well, why don't you ask it now? Because well, it, has,
4: it has to do with what Jay said about um, it was strong. I think you said Jay strong in the contemporary sense or in the contemporary landscape as well. And that's what I wonder. You know, if a younger group who would have dropped that album would have would it would it have hit? You know, what I'm saying would it have blown up? And like when I listen to Thank You for Your Service, I love the album. And I loved it when it first came out, but I didn't think, you know, oh, it never occurred to me or it never it never felt contemporary to me in the sense that, you know, it didn't feel old to me. It didn't feel like they were rehashing, but it didn't feel contemporary mm-hmm. in the sense that, oh, if this was a younger group, you know, a bunch of 20-year-olds dropped this, this would change everything. You know, this would blow up and young kids would be, you know, checking this because obviously they didn't check it because it's tribe and, you know, younger kids just generally tune out to, to older groups. So when you say a contemporary, that's what I'm wondering. You know what? Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit more?
3: Yeah, I'm, I mean I get your point. It, it's hard for me to say. I I don't even know their names anymore. Little A B C or Seventeen Braveheart or whatever. <laughs> I mean I, I don't think those people are going to be listening to um, this stuff anyway. Oh shit, Grandpa! But, come on, uh, man! You
4: fucking up our demo. You just, you just, you just, any anybody outside our demo who's listening, they just
3: left. <laughs> but how about this name? Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> And Tyler, the creator, are they a million, million miles away from each other? Mm. And I think Tyler is seen as being at the cutting edge of his demographic um, and younger. I think that demographic, they embrace Tyler and mm. they Absolutely. almost reject mm-hmm. Drake to the extent that at the Golf Wang, the annual Golf Wang um, concert in LA, when Tyler brought Drake out, the crowd booed. And. Um, you know, Tyler had to comment on it on Twitter, etc. It was, it was apparently a big thing, so that's interesting to me.
0: Well, shout out to Trap. Uh, Two Chains is actually a guilty pleasure of mine. I love Two what? Chains. What? Um, Society of Arthur? I don't know. I Hold do. up. <laughs> you know, I want to get into uh, I want to get into an album that that uh, could very well bridge the the classic Tribe Called Quest with the contemporary um, sound of the day. It's, it's in, in some corners, it's a praised album, and revered album. And in other corners, it's, it's maligned and almost um, written off as part of the canon. And that, that, that's Beats, Rhymes, and Life. Uh, an album that Tribe Called Quest put out in 1996. Uh, 96, we had AT Aliens from Outkast. We had Stakes is High from De La. I mean, these are all popular albums. Uh, Iron Man, Ghostface Killers debut. Uh, it was written. Nas's follow up album Uh, Reasonable Doubt Jay Jay Z's debut Illidelph Half-Life Muddy Waters by Redman My God The Score by the Fugees Hell on Earth *Mob Deep Mm -hmm. Um, what else All Eyes on Me Mm -hmm. by Tupac and in the midst of all of that here comes Tribe Called Quest now I remember when it I remember when it was released I was a complete tribe head I got it either day one or very close to it.
3: You got the hologram copy. I got the
0: hologram copy,
3: yeah. I still have, still
0: have it. I enjoyed it. What I did notice was two things. One very obvious, which was that they introduced Consequence to the fold. And he was very, he was prominent, um, did prominent verses on several songs. Um, And also there seemed to be, a disconnect between Q-Tip and Fife, mm-hmm. and I learned later that they that they weren't even mm-hmm. in the same studio, or at least they weren't in the studio at the same time. Although it sounded like Consequence and Fife were in the studio at the same time, even though I think Fife right. was in Atlanta at the time, and they were actually somehow emailing verses or you know doing some kind of mm-hmm. you know um, collaboration like that. You know, when you send stuff. I in can't wait for that. the the music snobs
4: documentary to come out, so they can find out. All this Mm, stuff um, Like We aren't in the same studio
0: either (laughs) (laughs) Right (laughs) I liked Consequence But I liked him on certain things I mean for example um, The jam But people had a problem with The album overall And they had a problem with Consequence You know in particular It sounded It sounded
3: different Absolutely did Definitely I mean um, They they had three back to back (laughs) Classics um according to the source magazine right source magazine back then was you know the barometer let's say and they had a review system um one mic one star five mics five star and people's instinctive the low-end theory midnight marauders back-to-back releases from tribal quest got five stars five mics and you know, when you drop an album, when you drop your first album and you get five stars, people say, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. Maybe it was Chance. If it happens again, immediately after that, then people start to think, you know, okay, this this cat is pretty serious. Mm-hmm. These guys are great musicians. If it happens a third time, it starts to become an expectation. And people start to take it for granted.
1: Jahan, especially if it's your first three. Because we don't know any Especially better Especially if like, If, it if, if, your if first it's like your three. third, fourth and fifth Ah, we've seen you be whack But no, this is your first right. three So mm-hmm. we don't know anything different So
3: mm-hmm. 100% People start to view you As being incapable Of doing anything exactly. that they don't like mm. Or that mm-hmm. doesn't resonate with them mm-hmm. Even I'll admit to Not quite getting it on release And it just kind of seemed to me then Less cohesive Than the albums that came before it Yeah I would say that the high points are comparative to anything that they've done.
4: Let me ask you this, Jay, cuz this is we're still talking a time period when singles were important. So probably the end of that time period. I think after this, probably late 90s is when singles became unimportant as not or I should say not as important.
3: Um, was stressed out the first single from this album? No, once again was the first. But but where you're going is a good question.
4: It is. It's it's interesting to me because once again in my opinion is actually, in, uh, I'm not arguing it's a different sound for Tribe and yeah, I can see how it'd be jarring but I don't hate Stressed Out but Stressed Out is a pop, you know, it's definitely a pop bad boy type song. It's, it's a well-constructed mm-hmm. hip-hop song but it ain't Tribe, you know what I'm saying? But it is I don't hate it because it's right. a very well-constructed radio song. But to me once again is actually a good example of how to uh, to intertwine a vocal, an R&B vocal with some Tribe shit you know what I'm saying? It's like I like Once Again, I like it much more than I like Stressed Out. So it's interesting that that became the first single. But uh, to to your point though, I can understand if that's the first thing I heard from the new tribe album. Because back for me back in then I was I was checking for um it was written more than anything else.
0: Yeah, well I think that was deliberate because you know, ninety six it was I mean Bad Boy had a vice grip. Right. So if I am a if I'm a, a, a hip
4: hop, R&B, R&B, fan so and that's the first thing I hear, you know, an R and B singer then yeah, I'm like, yeah, what the, you know, I'm like, Jay, I'm like, what the hell, what's going on?
3: It's a hell of a question. I, I don't know the answer. I mean, once again, when it came out, I don't remember being disappointed by that um, when it dropped as a single before the album. It was maybe a little bit more dynamic. Stressed out. It was just... You know, I want to say... <laughs> I, I can see how you try trying to be so careful. You're trying to be so careful.
4: Just let it out, man. You're in a safe space.
1: Let it out. <laughs> can, I, can I do a fife And a use a sports analogy in that, we're looking at a group that had always hit home runs. Not only with the album, with the singles. Mm-hmm. Their singles were home runs. And for mm-hmm. the first time, they hit a double, and we didn't know what to do.
2: Right. That's basically. Yeah.
1: Once again, it was a double. It's a solid song, but it's not a home run. And all we had seen from this group was home runs. And then they Classics. followed that up <laughs> with stressed out. And it's like, damn, that's another double. You know what I'm saying? So I think, you know, they want, they had set a precedent so high that people weren't feeling yeah. it. And it was a nice groove sonic sound. It was an involvement for where they were before. Uh, Jahan used the perfect word as far as it didn't feel. The whole project didn't feel cohesive because they were not cohesive. And the one thing... That we all gravitated to a tribe about was They felt like Arthur said in the beginning of the show That you were part of them That they were part of you they were, There was some connectivity That they were family and, and that came through a lot in their music And this is the first time where they really weren't family And I think it affected their music But even though being said With all the singles they released And all the albums they released before that All being home runs With them getting, you know, showing you hey, Here goes a, a double Here goes a triple mm we weren't satisfied by that and we didn't know how yeah, to take you talking right we didn't know how to take it and that's really what it is the songs are great but you know we're not used to them doing that we used to home runs all the time
4: check the ron benita apple oh, bomb keep going to it. All these of, are these are, these are of, world yeah,
1: series bro, these are world
3: series home runs. that's what i'm saying, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right
1: so when you drop like once again
3: Scoop, i want to i want to ask you bro what what was your take on it like you were on the ground at the time in the studio When you heard the finished product, when you popped it into your tape deck in 1996,
1: kind of like, okay, this is cool. This is dope. You know, it's not as... Here's the thing. First off, I thought Beats Rhymes in Life was the greatest title of any hip-hop album ever.
3: Yeah.
2: Period. For sure. (laughs) For sure. I
1: Mm, I only say that to mm -hmm, say, mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. where disappointment came in because as much as I did like the album, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is good. The album did not live up to the title it was given for me. Cause when you give an album that mm-hmm. title, especially what you've done before. But the beats, rhymes, and life, that's basically you encompass hip hop in fucking three words. The entire genre. Sounds like an anthology. Mm-hmm. And you can't not give mm-hmm. right. You can't not give a six mic album with a title like that. That's what that's what came across to me. And 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 and, 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 and I say this. Check the Rhyme to me was one of those songs that's, you know, I separate from a lot of tribes anthology. That song is just special. And I was looking for a song that moved me or had that type of impact on Beats Rhymes in life that was equal to Check the Rhyme. And it was never there. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying I didn't like Beats Rhymes. I thought it was cool. But there were elements there that I'm like, uh. I, I expected better than them, and I know there's better in them, but come to find out later on that there wasn't better in them at that time. They weren't connected. They, they, were, they were not connected as a group. And Tribe it happens to be one of those groups that unless they're all in sync, unless they're all on the same page, because mm-hmm. their music is so connected mm-hmm. to their personality and who they are, we're going to be affected by what goes on in their lives. Mm-hmm. So... With Consequence being brought in with, you know, and there being some issues about that and how he was brought in and who brought him in by, you know, Ali, kind of half-ass not being there, fight, moving to Atlanta, Q-Tip turning Muslim. They had a whole bunch of stuff going on. They weren't the family unit that they were mm-hmm, before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that came across in their music. You know, so once I learned that later on, I felt I said, OK, I'm not wrong about this. This doesn't feel like a Tribe album, we said this from the very beginning, Tribe's music made you feel a certain way. This album did not make you feel a certain way. Not that it's not dope, but that feel wasn't there because they weren't feeling each other at the time. From Looking
0: at it now, I mean, from the long, with the long lens, it and Jahan was the one that had brought this up. We were, when we were kind of like discussing, we were having this Tribe conversation, you know. But Jahan was talking, had made a really good point to say that you know, Beats Rhymes in Life doesn't sound old. It, in in many ways, it still sounds contemporary. Like if you play Low End Theory, if you play Midnight Marauders, that sounds like boom bap, early '90s hip hop. But if you play Beats Rhymes in Life, a lot of aspects of it sound. You, you you can you know you hear the DNA of what you can hear on the radio like right now. Bringing in Consequence, you're right. It felt it felt like broken ad hoc like you know, everybody wasn't on the
1: everybody wasn't on the same page with that just like everybody wasn't on the same page about bringing jd in look tribes are like this is tribes whole thing was like this is us this whole run is us and now outside people are coming in and no this ain't us well even still the credits that was produced by the
0: uma it was produced by a tribe called quest so you're right, there was stuff that was changing, but I saw it as an evolution. I didn't see it as a, as a mistake well, or as a misstep. I know, but
1: when everybody's on the same page. If everybody doesn't want the evolution to be the same, if everybody just wants it to be us, that's where the fracture came in.
3: Mm-hmm. But but let me ask you guys something. I think we need to I think we need to mention these guys. The kind of West Coast alternative or companion to a tribe called Quest. The far side. Yeah. They were on their second album at this point. Just one year previously, they'd released their second album, Lab Cab in California, which had a similar sort of presence from JD on it. But the album as a whole was pretty cohesive, was very cohesive um, in a way that Mm -hmm. I think we're suggesting Beats, Rhymes and Life was not. Mm -hmm. Just one Mm -hmm. year apart, Mm -hmm. maybe not even that. JD, of course, does not have one sound. He's got plenty, but... And I think the Lab Cab sound is maybe slightly different to the Beats Rhymes and Life sound, or the sound that that was influenced by. But it's interesting to me that Lab Cab in California, it wasn't met with uh, disappointment. I yeah. think everybody pretty much dug it at the time, from what I can remember. Um, compared to Beats Rhymes and Life, and I wonder why that was. Well is yeah, it a matter of
4: put... expe- is it a matter of expectation though?
1: No, I think it's a matter of. I think Jahan's looking at it from the sound standpoint as opposed to what comes through the personalities of that sound when things are good and when things aren't good. I think with the far Side there was, there was no problem with JD coming in and doing what he did. I think, And plus they didn't have the history the Tribe had coming in. Look, if you had had the track record Tribe did coming in to Beat Rhymes in Life like you said, nobody had ever had their first three albums like be the pinnacle of all of the music genre so now all of a sudden with if this has been our track record why are we changing this up why are we bringing more people right, in right what are we doing here <laughs> well
3: that's the ain't broke well you're just right, saying
1: if this ain't broke right
0: a- yeah i mean you're saying well why don't we just do you know why don't we just do you know afternoon marauders right. next <laughs> as a
1: we could right we
0: could, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It sounded like Beast Rhymes in Life. They were trying to, they were trying to evolve. No,
1: but you, y'all are talking about the sound. I'm talking about the personnel,
3: or at least Q-Tip. That's <laughs> or at least Q-Tip was trying. That's right, what I'm okay. saying. Yeah, I, I think you both are saying the same thing. I think some of the group, Q-Tip, wanted to evolve, mm. and yes, others,
1: Fife <laughs> yeah, right,
3: right, perhaps, perhaps wanted to stay where they thought that they were strong. Right, and so when everybody's not on the same page, problems. That's
1: all I'm saying. Mm-hmm.
4: And then that comes to the sound. Listen, you guys talk about you know beats and beats and rhymes, and you know we we focus a lot on the the lyrics and and the and the music. One thing I, I push for on the show is that we also talk about vocals when it comes to hip hop and how important vocals are. And from a vocal standpoint, when I heard this album, and I wasn't you know I wasn't the, the tribe head that you guys were back then, but when even when I heard this album. I remember hearing Consequence and feeling the the sharp distinction between him and, you know, uh, uh, Tip and and Fife. And it felt that with with Tip and Fife, they always had a very strong sense of self-awareness in their vocal. In other words, there was a Almost a comic sensibility to them Like they knew that some of the stuff they were saying was kind of funny But at the same time it's like I'm playing but I'm not playing You know what I'm saying There's like a seriousness mm-hmm. to it So it's like I never took them like they were a joke It was like even even when Fife was being clearly You know funny mm-hmm. But when he said You know I used to have a crush on Dawn from In Vogue It was like yeah that's kind of funny But no I really did You know what I'm saying And it's like I can relate mm-hmm. to that Because I did too mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying So it was like mm-hmm. They had that self-awareness and, and Tip was the same way Consequence was a straight spitter like he was just like you know he was that rhymer you know he was that rapper it's like he didn't have that mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not criticizing him for it but he didn't have that same sense of self awareness that um, Tip and Fife had and for Tip and Fife even though vocally they sounded different for them to have that similarity or that thing in common when they passed the baton from to each other you know back and forth just like with OutKast mm-hmm. they, it sounded so beautiful you know what I'm saying so for this new voice to be inserted I wasn't mad at Consequence, you know, individually. I think I even bought his album when it came out, um but his solo album. But there was a sharp. It was like this dude needs to be on one track. You know what I'm saying? It's like he needs to be like somebody's cousin that comes in. And he's on one track. Right. You know what I'm saying? You could argue that he's the remix MC. He's not
0: the MC that you put on the album.
4: Yeah, he's not. He just in, in that group. You know what I'm saying? He just didn't. Uh-huh. It was too much of a of a of a departure.
3: And the vibe that they were going for maybe it wasn't. um like if you take a track like wordplay my favorite track on that album and one of my favorite beats period it's a very hypnotic song and if you put it on in the dark on headphones and close your eyes you're gonna open them when he starts rhyming mm-hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> it's
0: like, wake up motherfucker! <laughs> by that time tribe called quest had been working with and letting and, and basically putting on a variety of mc's you know, on their songs. You know, they had Brand Nubian on the song. They 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 had Leaders of New School on the on the on, on Scenario. They even brought in uh, Kid Hood on the Scenario remix, who unfortunately uh uh died not long after that was that was that was that was created. There were a lot of MCs that they had been working with, but from a consumer standpoint, from the from the from the tribe audience standpoint, you know, we weren't ready for that like this it didn't sound cohesive but it could be that in the studio at the time it it it, it sounded like it worked mm, i'd have
4: a, i'd have a hard time believing that in the studio it didn't sound even more abrasive you know so and again this is not to me for me at least this is not a criticism necessarily on consequence i actually like his vocal i like his style it just didn't yeah. fit in that group to
1: me. I'll say it this, didn't
4: fit in that that aesthetic.
1: I'll say that there's a difference between somebody coming in, spitting, you know, sixteen spitting twenty four on a track in the studio for one day and leaving, <laughs> as opposed to somebody mm-hmm. in the studio mm-hmm. every damn day who's right. moved in and he's on six or eight tracks and he's not just one. There's two dudes, new dudes in this thing that hey, they have never left this process. There's a big difference in that, man. And when everybody's not on the same page with that, well, so let me say this. Let me ask this
0: question. So, are we saying that Beats Rhymes in Life is by itself? Take it out of the album Four, Run of Tribe Called quest, right. That Beats Rhymes in Life by himself is a good or even great hip hop album. Like, is there a difference between a
1: a a, 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 a great? Hip hop album and a great tribe called Quest. There's a difference between a great hip hop album and a masterpiece. And what Tribe Called Quest did is they put out three masterpieces back to back to back. This was a great album. It's not a masterpiece though. And
3: that was Mm -hmm. their brand.
1: And and they were that's it. They did masterpieces. But I mean, even I'm not arguing
0: that it's a masterpiece. But I'm just saying, like, like. You know, when I first heard Get A Hold, I was like, what is, what is happening? I had never heard nothing like that.
3: I'll say that, you know, we have to mention the fact that that particular sound, like just take that track. That sound has been woven into the fabric of modern music beyond hip hop. You know, I mean, it's, it's all over hip hop and beyond. And the fact that that still sounds contemporary, still sounds fresh, the, the sound of it and then the influence that has hit so many other places. You have to give JD credit for that. You know, that's his impact. It endures, and it's very hard to do that. You know, at the time, of course, it's hard to appreciate, but it's something that you can only really truly evaluate with the passage of time. But,
1: right, I hear you. But it's also the album that began the breakup of the group, so you have to ask yourself, was it worth it? Mm. But I'm saying, was the breakup happening before the album? Because then it, it's a moot
3: point. But is that the only reason that they broke up, Scoop? You know, if they had repeated the same sort of style as the previous three albums... Would they have would they have stayed together and, you know, carried on releasing albums a year or right, two years right, later, right. etc.?
1: Uh well, their contract allowed them to do five albums, I think, under Jive Records. So the last album they did, the Bowel Movement, was <laughs> the final <laughs> album. <laughs> 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 Damn. <laughs> was contractually Damn. their last album. But I'm just saying that the reason that that one, they never fought to get another deal done with Jive or do anything else was because they were coming to an end because of all the separation that was caused from Beach Rhymes of Lights internally. Okay, so hey, so let me ask you this then: Would you would you have done it the same way? Was it worth it? Was it worth it to bring Did in the Uma Kill Tribe to bring in Quest? the outside Did the sources? Uma Kill Tribe Quest? It's not just well, I don't think it's just the Uma. I, I think it's because you were at, you were Double at XL
0: at that time, right? Like you were in the deep, I know deep that's what I'm saying, right? Was right.
1: So I think had tipped like taking this time and tried to do something that he and Fife could have sat down and made happen. Mm-hmm. If I, think if, here's the, I think if he had done beach rhymes in life without consequence, without JD, you know, if it just kept that same formula one more time and had done the same album and it not had to been a masterpiece. And then bought everybody else in, we never would have saw a breakup. Hmm. Because then Tip would have said, "Hey, Fife, you know what? We've done this four times. Three were masterpieces. I'm saying three, these three were masterpieces. This one's okay. Can we now bring? You know, can we do it the way I wanted to do it the first time on this on on this last one to see what happens? And Fife would have been like, "All right, cool. You know what? This one wasn't what we wanted it to be. So let's try something different. And I think they would have been able to make. The love movement much better. It may not have been their last album. That's what I'm saying.
4: You sound like you're saying, Scoop, that they needed to fail, and I'm putting fail in, in big quotation marks. Yeah, they words.
1: needed to. Yeah. They
4: needed to fail as Tribe and not as some other, you know, kind of, you know, loose interpretation of Tribe. They needed to fail as Tribe well, really in order fail, to pick the, themselves right, they, back they, up as Tribe. They
1: needed to see themselves not reach the same level as Tribe in order. For, right. That's for, why I said un- fail in big quotation right, marks. For understanding of to why are we changing this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: to you know to make or to give that that a chance because the changing was kind of almost seemed forced and it didn't. They did, there wasn't a reason behind it because everything was going good.
4: So Arthur, how are we going to end this on a high note? I feel real down about tribe right now. We've been talking about the breakup for so long. I'm, I'm feeling like let's end this on a high note. On, a,
1: on
0: okay, so on a high note, there's a reason why you know 12 years after not 12 years but 18 years after uh, a love movement tribe can release an album and it 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 you know it's it's a quote-unquote instant classic Mm -hmm. and of course the death of fife prior to the release of the album you know has a boosting effect there was already great anticipation and excitement at the notion of not even the notion but at the confirmation that there was going to be another Tribe Called Quest album released and I think that says something of not only the staying power but of the contemporary influence of that group that really can't be understated certainly has to be acknowledged who's going higher than that (laughs) but yo hey overall though I think
4: you know whether or not we want to call them the, the most important or whatever you can't take if you take tribe called quest out of hip hop you know if you if you remove their existence then it can't be overstated how much damage that does to the to the genre overall you know i just i I don't think you can overstate that so
2: Hmm.
4: that's and i think that's the high point that regardless of all the you know the drama or the you know the stuff that we discussed over the last hour so i think that that high point can't be can't be argued
1: or 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 i don't think their importance can be argued you know it's just a matter if you want to definitively make them the most important you know their place of importance you know but their just overall importance i don't think can be argued at all it's just a matter of personal personal choice of where you place them that's it okay round table
0: you know isaac and i we do a podcast uh called mad unreal um and both of us being um star wars geeks and uh Comic book nerds were really. I kind object of... to that term, by the way. <laughs> nerd or
4: listen when when we were in school, nerds were not the cats that were in the comic books and stuff. They were other shit. It's like that whole nerd thing. I don't know. Y'all you know when that happened? But
3: it's fashionable now, man. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. It's fashionable, especially online.
0: Well, I feel good. I've been referred to as a nerd since. Oh my god,
3: it's been a long time. Let's just say. <laughs> <you keep> <laughs>
0: <laughs> along with our affinity for 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 Star Wars and uh in Marvel Comics um we're heavy James Bond heads and uh to celebrate the upcoming release of um the 25th James Bond film and also Daniel Craig's last last go at playing uh James Bond we're going to do a roundtable called Rebonded
4: and listen listen before listen before you get into that part let me just say anybody who is out there Um, who is into, you know, Marvel's MCU, the DC Extended Universe, Star Wars, Star Trek, James Bond, any of this like unreal shit, please make sure you go over to madunreal.com produced by the same people who are producing the show that you're listening to right now Um, and check it out and get involved. You know, hit us on Twitter, um, hashtag madunreal. We, you know, include your conversations in the show. Um, and you know we we go deep on this stuff, and yeah, the James Bond thing is like something that Arthur and I are really um gearing up towards with no time to die, so, so for the
3: purposes of people like me and beyond these four walls, what does unreal mean to you
4: so the term you know I think arthur um it was good that Arthur said at the beginning talking about you know geekdom and nerddom and all these all these terms that are being used now to describe. Um, people who are into, you know, whether it's comic books, whether it's these kind of genre films um, for us, you know, the blanket term for all of this is just unreal. Obviously, any storytelling is unreal because it's fictional or um, any I should say any fiction storytelling is unreal. But there's a special unreality, if you will, that comes with, you know, you're talking about, you know, the MCU or you're talking about Star Trek. You know, there's just another it's next level unrealness. And so that term for us is something that kind of blankets all of these other terms that people are are are, are kind of like you said they're kind of fashionable right now. Um, so we just get into shit that's just mad, that's mad, unreal, you know, stuff that's just extremely unreal and stuff that fascinates us. Um, so that's you know, if you're into any of these things or if you just you know you're mildly interested and want to know more, um, join us in these conversations because um, you know it's it's an exciting time to be into this shit. You know, we're talking about not just the james bond stuff listen uh star wars clone wars just dropped this week that we're recording this and me and arthur are over the moon about it uh we had the mandalorian we talked about that you know we got some star trek stuff happening um there's innovative things and interesting things happening with black heroes and black um unreal characters um people of color women you know there's all types of things happening that we're focusing on Mm -hmm. so check this show out um and and definitely hit us on twitter hashtag mad unreal and let us know what you think um, the week that we're recording this, the episode of Mad and Real 007 and Counting that's coming out is called um, uh, The Spy Who Looks Nothing Like Me. And it basically mm. what it's examining is examining Bond from a black perspective and saying, OK, what does it mean to be a black, a black person, but more specifically a black male who is, you know, into the Bond shit. What does it mean to be, to, to love James Bond as a black man, you know, as a black male in this culture, in Western culture, knowing everything that Bond stands for. So, yeah, those type of conversations and discussions, they're being had some places, but not really, you know. Not and definitely like this. Not you're not going to find them like this. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So I think that if that's something, when you guys listen to this, even if you're not really, like I said, if you're not deep, deep, deep in a Bond, I think that just hearing us discuss what it means to be into that, you know, Bond fandom um, as a person of color. I think it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting conversation, so definitely check it out.
0: Alright, round table, let's do it. We're calling this ReBonded. Uh, each of us was randomly assigned a, an artist and tasked with choosing an existing James Bond theme song uh, for that artist to sing. So we're gonna replace the original artist of a Bond theme and plug in uh, our own assigned artists. So, as we go around the table, uh, each of us, I want us to first uh, tell us what artists they were given and what song they've chosen. You know, and anything about the artist catalog uh, from our pick to back, you know, to back up our selection uh, and how we envision the artist version would have turned out.
1: Was it really random? So what are the
4: what? Are, yeah, it was. It was. It was. I, you know what? It was. It was random. I give you my word. It was random. I can tell you how I did it if you want. No, it was, I was actually was a surprise it really, when it
1: was happened. Was it really random? I'm looking. When I saw you, I was at, like, Whoa! I know. And I'm looking at the smile on your face. Like I don't know you. <laughs> I'm waiting for the feathers to fly out your mouth. Like you a cat just ate a bird, son. <laughs> I'm looking at you.
4: Nah, <laughs> nah. It was. It was really random. But Arthur, what? A, why don't we actually we can maybe tell the audience what the five artists are. And then we can go around and we can, you know, each person can say who they got. And then we can just tell everybody what we're going to do with that fifth artist. Cause obviously there's only four of us.
0: Yeah. Okay. So of the five, we've got Minnie Riperton, Parliament Funkadelic, Phil Collins, <laughs> Kanye West, and Joe. Wow. Wow. This is So be each one of us was assigned an artist and that fifth artist, uh, we want the audience to get involved. So when I name the fifth artist, hit us up on Twitter at Total Music Snobs and, you know, let us know for this artist that we give you the audience. Uh, what theme song you would replace the original singer with? Who wants to start? Crickets, crickets, crickets. (laughs) I'll go, Jesus. (laughs) Nobody nobody ever wants to go first. Ain't
1: nobody scared. No, no, ain't nobody scared.
3: (laughs) I'm scared. Yeah, (laughs) Jay said I'm scared. (laughs) Wait, spread it out. All
2: right. So, all right. Actually,
4: this is going to be interesting because I I kind of, to welcome Scoop back, I did this in true Scoop Jackson fashion. So I have like my number one choice, but now I got like two other choices too.
1: Too bad, so, too bad the people can't see my finger right now. You know what I'm saying?
4: <laughs> um, my choice, uh, or I should say, not my choice. Who I was, who, who I randomly was assigned, was uh, Kanye West, Mr. Kanye West. So listen, I'm going to tell you guys my runners up first. The songs that immediately came to mind. There's two of them that came to mind, and, and one of them actually musically more so than anything else. Um, but the first song that popped in my mind, and I'm sure you guys can understand why, was I could definitely see Kanye doing "Nobody Does It Better" from which is, <laughs> <laughs> which, is which is a Carly Simon track from uh, uh, "The Spy Who Loved Me." Um, Roger Moore's one of the one of the goat bond things. Yeah, one of the goat bond things. Which is Roger Moore's. What's that? Is that Arthur? That's his fourth. I think that's his fourth film or I think it was his film?
0: third film after uh, man, The Man
4: with the Golden Gun. Right. So Man with the Golden Gun was somewhat of a quote-unquote disappointment, um, box or, uh, you know, critically and everything. So they rebounded with, I think, a Spy, The Spy Who Loved Me. Um, and this song was, you know, a hit. Um, Nobody Does It Better, Carly Simon. And uh, so I could actually picture, and the reason this was my third runner-up is I actually picture Kanye like standing in the mirror, like singing. I mean, listen to these lyrics. Uh, Nobody Does It Better, makes me feel sad for the rest um nobody does it half as good as you baby you're the best um so <laughs> it's like you can actually see like this actually fits with some of kind you know kanye's previous um previous lines so that popped in my head but then i was like nah you know kanye is not he would have to auto-tune the hell out of that and just you know that i don't think that's going to work you know even if he even if he flipped it um, and you know The elephant in the room Of course Kanye has Experience he, You know he sampled Or remixed um, Diamonds Are Forever To great success um, On that album And not that I would Ever replace Shirley Bassey's uh, uh, Version with his But The second runner up Was um, uh, Live and Let Die Paul McCartney's uh, Live and Let Die From Live and Let Die uh, uh, Roger Moore's first film And the reason I thought About that is because I know how much During the um, uh, uh The album uh, Beautiful What's Kanye's Beautiful Nightmares What's that album
0: My Dark Twisted Fantasy
4: Right So during that era Kanye He loved to change up You know He he really liked to change up You know The song in the middle Do something else Come back to it Whatever And living that Let Die Is basically You know Arthur You know That that whole The, the whole structure Of that song is his switch up, you know, into that, Yeah. You know, which to yeah. me really
0: three different fields. Yeah,
4: yeah. To me, the, the, den da-na, that is like classic bond. I actually wish they would bring that part back, you know, and, and use it um, in some of the current films. Um, so that came to mind, you know, I, could, I know I could see Kanye diving into that um, musically. So again, nobody does it better, you know, lyrically and then live and let die um, musically came to mind, but the one that kind of brought everything together and I could actually see Kanye really getting, excited about doing the song um was my favorite song from the craig or from the daniel craig era um and that's you know my name by chris cornell so this is from uh excuse me casino royale the first uh daniel craig film and this song is you know because because you got to look at the landscape of bond at that point in time um pierce Brosnan had done uh uh shit die another day and then there's i think a four or five year gap um between that and casino royale and die another day was not well received from from the fan standpoint it made a lot of money critics hated it a lot of fans didn't really like it made a lot of money but it kind of it just it, it jumped the shark so to speak um in the terms which you know bond had done a million times before but this took it back um to some really ridiculous levels invisible cars and shit like that so there was a, a a lot of speculation about what's going to happen to Bond next. And then when Daniel Craig was announced as the next Bond, fans were happy. It's a blue-eyed, blonde, you know, Bond. Who the fuck is this dude? You know, so there was that feeling. So all of a sudden this song comes out. So, so basically what I'm saying is that Bond was the underdog, which is a position that we know Kanye sees himself in. You know, whether or not it's true or not, mm, he, mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. imagines himself always to be the underdog. Um, which, to be fair, a lot of MCs do that. You know what I'm saying? The most successful MCs, you know, still be acting like nobody believes in them. So, Bond, at that standpoint, in 2000, I believe this is 2006, the feeling was kind of like really lukewarm about this movie coming out about Casino Royale. Not just with general fans, but I'm talking about like deep Bond is. They were really not feeling Daniel Craig is Bond. All of a sudden, when you hear this song, and it's basically Chris Cornell's vocal is like one of the most aggressive, you know, Bond songs ever vocal, vocally. And then you hear his the growl and the you get to the chorus and he's telling you, you know my name, like motherfucker, you know who I am. You know, what I'm saying, mm-hmm. why are you tripping? Here's what I'm about. It, it was a very, it was a unique moment. It was a it, it was a very seminal moment in in the Bond franchise. And I think that that's something that Kanye again whether or not it's true or not in his own in his own in his own head he can definitely relate to that sensibility and so yeah
1: cause that's what Kim tells him all the time
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know my name <laughs>
1: right exactly hey it took us you know, it took us like, like am, almost right. two hours but we now. finally got there
4: <laughs> we back <laughs> um so listen uh I imagine, you know, this song really to me is is sung from when I listen to when I listen to, to these famous Bond theme songs. I Always try to imagine, you know, whose point of view is coming from. Because a lot of times it's coming from Bond's point of view. A lot of times it's coming from the lead Bond woman in the story. It's coming from her point of view. Sometimes it's coming from the villain's point of view. Um, this song seems to be coming from Bond's point of view. But there's a little bit. There's moments in the song where I feel like it's coming from M. M's point of view, you know, his boss It's like he's telling him, you know, uh, there's no one here that's going to save you. Um, You got to kill my. You know, it's very you need to man up kind of sensibility. But then again, there's that, you know, kind of putting myself, sticking my chest out that I think, uh, you know, that type of sensibility that I think. Kanye would jump on. um, As far as I'm the underdog, everybody's doubting me. This is the moment where I'm going to stick my chest out, be who I am, and then tell everybody, you know who I am. You know, you know my name. Um, And I think, you know, obviously Kanye would probably have gotten um, if he did this song, you know, he's not going to sing it completely himself. Maybe he auto tunes it. Maybe he gets Frank Ocean or somebody to help him out on the vocal Um, And then, you know, he does something differently with the music, with the arrangement. But I think the aggression of that song and the um, the putting my blank on the table, I think that's there. And that's something that I think Ye would probably, especially old Ye, not new Ye, old Ye. I'm talking about Ye, Beautiful, Twisted, Dark, whatever, that era, Ye, or maybe even earlier than that. I think he would have jumped on that, you know, and really kind of connected with that, what that song was saying and where bond was um and where daniel craig was at that point and the stakes that were on the table so i love this song i've said this before on matt if you go listen to mad Real, we talk about this i've said that this is you know again my favorite song of the craig era um better than this the, the, uh, the billy eilish song that was just really recently released Um uh, which is going to wait wait
3: wait say it like sean connery said <laughs> 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 billy
4: eilish Right, maybe they'll find them just to get them to say that <laughs> But I, you know, I, I actually I, I dig her song, but you know, we talked about it On Mad Unreal, it's going to bookend Craig's era, but I wanted As much as I, I dig her song, I wanted something Like You Know My Name to bookend it um, And I think for all those reasons That's why I could see if I had to pick anything Out of the 25 um, including, including Never Say Never Again All the Bond um, theme songs This is the one that I would say Kanye could jump on and, and really You know, do his thing with so that's my pick. What y'all think?
0: I could actually see Kanye doing, doing the No Time to Die theme. <laughs> 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 On another, like an,
4: ex, like an excerpt from 808s and Heartbreaks.
0: Right, yeah. right.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, that song is all about betrayal. So I could actually see him, you know, again, the whole, you know, woe is me type of thing. And, you know, I've been betrayed. Um, yeah, that's that would that would be interesting too. But I I I think just from a structural standpoint, and could he actually do it? I think he could pull off. Um, uh, you know, you know my name.
0: That's a good pick. Thank you, sir. So <laughs> I'll go. My artist is Jodeci. Oh yeah. <laughs> and let me just say, let me just say, I'm gonna go for for your eyes only. Originally recorded by Sheena Easton <laughs> uh, for the film of the same title, which was released, I believe, in 1981, mm-hmm. and it's also in the "Goat James Bond" theme uh, conversation. Yeah, uh, it's not an obvious fit for Jodicey. Not not the not the not the Jodeci, You know, wild. You know, hypersexualized version of Jodacy. But more of the The sensitive side Like the side A Of Forever My Lady So the way I, I envision a remake Of For Your Eyes Only Is is in the style Of Love You For Life Where um, mm. There's a certain Sensitivity to it There's a certain Longing to it You know The desire for commitment Um That One to one Monogamous relationship That Um For Your Eyes Only Uh you know alludes to mm-hmm. um even though the seventies era sixties too but the seventies era james Bond you know it was um you know very sexualized in a good way though <laughs> yeah right as good as you could be in nineteen you know late seventies early eighties but you know like the, the the lyrics for the song for uh, for your eyes only can see me through the night for your eyes only I never need to hide you can see so much in me so much in me that's new I never felt until I looked at you for your eyes only.
4: Yeah, are you he passing? Had, are they passing the baton? Or is this one of them? Is this a KC only song or a JoJo only? No, song? No, no, no.
0: They? Yeah, they're passing the okay, baton. All right, they're okay. passing the baton. And then, um, you know, the KC part, the second verse for your eyes only. The nights are never cold. You really know me. That's all I need to know. Maybe I'm an open book because you're because I know your mind. But you won't need to read between the lines. That's a little more direct. You know. I'm always in the recording with my shirt off singing my lines. <laughs> K.C. Jody, right. But I think, you know, I think it would I think it would fit. Mm-hmm. They, I, I think they would kill it. I think they would kill that song. Yeah. They would murder yeah. it. In yeah. In a good way.
4: Now, um, do you know, um, Sheena Easton, she also, in addition to, you know, that again, that's one of the, the great Bond songs. She also holds the distinction of doing something that no other um Bond theme song singer has done before or since. Do you guys know what that just quick trivia, do you know what that is?
1: Slept with Prince?
4: <laughs> slept with
1: Prince.
2: <laughs>
4: we don't we don't know that, Scoop. <laughs> we don't know what else, how many other you know what I'm saying? We, those records are sealed. <laughs> so we can't actually speak to that one. But Jay, I think you know what is it?
3: Yes, I do. Normally with these iconic openings, these truly, genuinely iconic uh, Bond movie opening credits, you you see these silhouettes, this high contrast kind of um, black silhouettes, and the silhouettes will be of Bond, will be of action sequences, will be of women, very often women. And um, the only face you actually see clearly is Bond himself. So this is the first time where you have the singer's, face shown very prominently very clearly but not only that but they're actually right. singing it to you oh right. right it's the
4: person who actually sung the song <laughs> just like a right. music video basically. first on, first and only
3: time so i found this very difficult because um well, i just found this very difficult um my artist is phil collins Mm. That's the that's a easy one.
2: <laughs> that's
3: your boy. Jay is a Phil Collins head. <laughs> quite, quite as it's kept. Confidential information. But yeah. But I found it hard because I couldn't. I just couldn't figure out how his particular style would match one of those compositions, like the song, um, and make it better. I mean, I thought about a view to a kill, Duran Duran, Ooh. but but you Ooh. know, Ooh. they nailed it.
1: Yeah, Jahan, you're right, but they would have. I loved I Duran loved Duran, but no, I think that was, that's the one. <laughs>
4: that's the Man, one. Man,
1: I love Duran Duran. I'm with Jahan. They killed it, but Phil Collins, Phil Collins, oh my God. Come on, Jahan. <laughs>
3: well, let me tell you, let me tell you. I, I didn't think it would be sufficiently different enough to justify the pick to make it interesting. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> so, anyway, I've got, a, I've got an easy pick and I've got a hard pick. So the easy pick is In the Air Tonight, which conceptually is yes. basically a Bond theme. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you could slap it on pretty much any Bond film conceptually and time and production style and era permitting, it could fit because, you know, it's atmospheric, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's got a bit of a sinister vibe to it, you feel like something's going to happen, there's a big crescendo um, and, you know, it has that whole kind of tone as used very effectively in Miami Vice for pretty much the same reasons. So in the air tonight, too easy, I'm going to go with the Genesis song Mama, <laughs> which has, uh, of course, lead vocal by Phil Collins. <laughs> um, the industrial song. Mm. And the song I'm going to apply it to is this latest one, No Time To Die oh, by yeah. Billie Eilish. Yeah. Now, full disclosure, uh, I feel like the recent Bond films they are lacking the fun aspect that some of the earlier ones and they seem to be just really embracing a kind of downbeat dark somber um, sort of tone but overly so in my opinion um, I would say that every you know that goes for most of the things since Pierce Brosnan's range but I feel like they lean into that too much um, so anyway Mama by Genesis is is a dark tune it's a very dark tune lyrically exceptionally dark tonally musically it's got that kind of somber vibe going on but it also has a little bit more bump to it and to me more interesting musical motifs in it so i feel like that would kind of set the tone for a dark movie but just with a little bit more of a kind of something something that i feel has been missing from the more recent efforts and not unlike in the air tonight, Mama has a drum breakdown and um, this kind of big crescendo and um, where the track kind of kicks up a notch. And when you're listening to it, you know, and it happens, you, it makes you pay attention. And I'm, I'm not sure that's been the case with their more recent efforts.
4: For me, man, I actually, I love the Phil Collins. I love Phil Collins in No Time to Die. I love that pick. I think I would actually like to hear him do it in the, uh, the one more night though type of you know, type of sensibility. Um and but I guess that's again that's leading maybe that's too depressive is to your point, but I actually feel like that could be that would be dope to hear him do it in that type of yeah. I think though, um, Phil Collins' vibe to me works really well for Bond theme. It seemed like he should have done a Bond theme. Yeah, song.
3: it's crazy he hasn't.
4: One more, I mean, uh, in the air tonight though, that build up man, it's a, it's a long time. It takes a long time to get to that to that the, those drums. And you think about the opening of a um, a Bond movie, you kind of jump into it from the get go. Like the whole the written in, written on the wall, Sam Smith stuff, I felt was wasn't didn't work because it it, it didn't have any build up. It didn't it just it was just like so mellow. Whereas Skyfall, um, Adele song, it started with that you know uh, this is the end, and then boom, doom doom Within like you know thirty seconds, you jumping off the cliff, you know you into it. And I feel like you kind of need that with a Bond song. So I don't know if in the air tonight i don't know man i think that it may take too long to get to that build up you know for the uh for, for the bond uh title
3: sequence well you know you could edit it you could figure out a way to make it fit and um and you know it's not so much that song in particular but just something in that style is kind of what i think we're what i'm envisaging mm-hmm.
4: well hey jay i gotta say for as much anxiety as anxiety as you put yourself through over this that was a good pick i, I like thanks, it thanks man you know i mean to be fair like you said you could put phil on a lot of stuff but i i like the sensibility of putting him you know on this most recent song and i I definitely think it fits and lyrically i think if he he would he would have killed those lyrics you know the uh the phrasing of those lyrics i think he would have done it well so
1: okay you got next mine was kind of simple and that's why i was wondering whether it was random because (laughs) how, how i wound up with you know, parliament, Funkadelic doesn't seem random. <laughs> <laughs> that, really, that really doesn't sound like a random pick, you know? You got lucky, bro. Like, that sounds you got very a stroke, selective. That was a struggle of yeah. luck. Yeah. You got lucky. I saw mine, I was like, right, oh, goddamn. Right. I'm like, all right, that's. sounds... I, it yeah. was easy doing it, but I'm like, that's not random. I'm not, you know, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that, that's too easy. But anyway, for me, it was really simple. <laughs> I'm trying to wonder what, what, what way to tell it so that it makes the both sense in it. hmm it's Rita Coolidge's all-time high.
2: <laughs> Perfect. Not,
1: okay, right, right. Keep in mind who we're talking about now. We <laughs> talk about Parliament <laughs> Funkadelic all-time high. They're, just the title mm. alone no is like, mm-hmm. alright, right, now here, but here, here's the other part to it. That was from the movie Octopussy. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, it's like, what other, right, right. It, it, it just it just fits perfectly. So, you know, just that alone made the selection for me very easy. And I'm not saying I didn't like Rita Coolidge's version. Uh, it was very melodic, very slow. So George's will be so different, and especially with that title. But it depends on who he hands it off to. You know, if, if he wants to do it, if he wants to take lead, if he hands it off to Gary Shott, if he hands it off to... Junie. Yeah, he hands it off to Junie. If he hands Bootsie. it off to... Now, you don't know, I mean, yeah, if he hands it off to Boosie, if he hands it off to Bernie Well, if he hands it off to, you know, whoever, you know, he can hand it off to so many people to take lead on this. And that would shape what the sound and the song would be because he has so many choices within Parliament Funkadelic. I could see a Maggie Brain maybe feel to it if he handed it off to Mike Hampton, you know, like, yo, do your thing. We're going to let the guitar lead this. You know, there's so many things he could do with it. Um, but mm. I think at some point, he may flip the whole title of the song and that not be the song. The word octopusy. He 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 could not make a song for that movie and not have it be the lead song.
4: You know, it's, that's a, that's a interesting not to interrupt, but that's an interesting point because one of the constant struggles with these films for the producers and for the uh, for for John Barry or whoever is doing the music at the time, David Arnold, whoever. Do you, you know, one, do you always need the title um, of the movie as the title of the right. the, the theme song? Right. You, know, specific, you know, generally it's like, yes, we want that because obviously for marketing reasons. But then when there's titles like Octopussy or Moonraker or um, what are some of the other hard ones? Quantum of Solace, um, you know, some of these harder titles like, yo, whoa, how are we going to? You know, Billy Eilish's brother, uh, Phineas. Phineas, who wrote that, yeah, wrote that song. He he remarked, he's like, yeah, I was really happy that the title of the movie was No Time to Die and not, you know, Quantum of right. Solace. You know, it made it easier for us. So, but in this to your point, yeah, Scoop. But in this
1: particular case. Yeah, that was th- yeah.
4: I think George would have been like, "No, Octopussy is going to be the name of the Exactly. This damn song, exactly. You know? right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, some way, somehow. Exactly. Even if he would have kept most of these lyrics, that's you know, I'm looking at the lyrics now from um, Rita Coolidge's version. We're gonna figure out a way to get to get Octopussy into this. Into this. Yeah, thing, he would, Which would have been understand. really interesting.
1: And I tried to keep in consideration the time that the movie was released. The movie was 1983. This would have come mm-hmm. off of Atomic Dog. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, mm. and even though Atomic Dog was a George Clinton singular song, you know, that was the last big, big, big pop record that their whole entourage really had. If they mm. had been given like the score to a Bond movie, this song probably would have been their swan song. They probably would have killed mm. this song and made it just as big as Atomic Dog. And coming off the heels of that, given that they probably, we said home runs about Tribe. They probably would have given us a home run that we've been playing to this day. Well, here's the thing you got to keep in mind: they've never gotten. There was never a pop break with them. They never did anything pop. They were they were you know they were funk. They they stayed in that lane throughout their entire careers. If Bond a film as big as Bond had called them, that would have been their first pop, you know, offer. Period. Mm, right. And mm. I'm saying after the success of Atomic Dog. They would have made probably their first pop funk record and they probably would have nailed it in a way that would have brought a white audience to them they had never had and still kept their black audience satisfied and that would have been this swan song.
3: I'm a little surprised that you didn't go with something like Live and Let Die because that's, you know, that's almost like the funkiest
1: Yeah, it is. It is, no doubt. But once again, Jahan, wouldn't you love to hear George Clinton do a song called Octopussy More? (laughs) To, yeah,
4: come you on on that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh God.
0: All right, this is a full lid on the first episode of season two. Welcome back. The Music Snobs. Yep, be back. Hit us up on Twitter at Total Music Snobs. And, and we want your picks. So, audience. What James Bond theme song Would you replace the original singer With Minnie Riperton We want to hear, hear about that mm. You can find us on Apple Podcasts You can find us on Google Play You can follow us on Spotify uh, We do encourage Ratings and reviews Take, a, take some time Think about it <laughs> Yeah, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts uh, Follow us on Spotify And we will return uh, For episode 2